Grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. And if you don't have one, we're glad to give you one. Matthew chapter 28, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. And once you find your spot there, stand so you get to stretch your legs for just a moment. Stand as we read, Jesus rose from the dead. Let's rise and hear it directly from the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, which we understand was Saturday, as the first day of the week, which we understand is Sunday, began to dawn Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. You can start calling if you have friends, the other Mary. It's just, you know. Uh, the other Mary came to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him, I bet they did, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. Not normally when you see someone crucified, you don't expect to see them alive. He is not here, he is risen as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell the disciples, that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples, uh, ran to bring his disciples' word. Let's pray again. Father, we ask now the anointing of your word Remove me once again from the equation that all of us would hear from you, Jesus, our risen Savior, our rabbi, our leader, our master, our Lord, our King of kings. Lord, we ask that you would anoint this time. Lord, draw us into your presence. And again, if anyone's not yet born again, today would be the day that they come to know you. What a beautiful day it would be on Resurrection Sunday to be risen to eternal life. And we ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you were if you're with us last week, and even if you were not, as fast as things change from Palm Sunday, which we looked at a week ago, when Jesus was welcomed by those shouts of praise and those waves of palm branches, as fast as things change from then to the latter end of the week when Jesus was crucified and killed, things changed even faster that glorious Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. Like a bolt of lightning, Jesus, as the sun is about to rise, we know he rose just before the rising of the sun, the Son of God rises and in a moment shatters the darkness and the finality of death, and he crushes the penalty of sin. Nobody but Jesus could do this. And nobody on earth was actually even there to see it. I'm talking about the actual rising. No one was there to see him actually rise. It was a moment so sacred, so powerful, so glorious, that the rising of itself was held within the Godhead, the actual rising. But the evidence of his rising is apparent 
and it's immediately proclaimed by the angels. Now the angels may have seen it, but we don't know. They're just there to tell us, why are you looking for him? And the proof of his rising, well that's going to shortly be revealed as well. You can read on in Matthew in the next passage. The proof is there because they actually see Jesus face to face. Uh, but what if they, but what they are seeing and what they're trying to make sense of at, at the time, they just see the empty tomb, they see the angels there, they see that Jesus is not there. What they're trying to make sense of, if it's all true, and we know of course that it is true, the initial rejoicing will multiply exponentially when they hear the voice of Jesus and when they see him face to face. That's kind of like where we're at right now. I know Jesus is risen. Do you know he's risen? Yes. I know he talks to me in through the word and the still small voice, but there's going to be something different when I actually fall at his feet in heaven. I'm not ready for that moment in a sense, and neither are you. God has to ready us with glorified bodies for that moment. But thinking back, all of a sudden, everything of that first Sunday, that sudden amazement, before all of that was despondent bewilderment. And in fact, for three full days, the disciples were distressed, depressed. It literally began with the darkest hours on earth and the darkest hours of their lives. In three short and yet agonizingly long days, the disciples of Jesus there in Jerusalem will go from the depths of despair to unspeakable joy. You and I will go from the depths of this earth to the unspeakable joy of heaven someday, but they, in a matter of three days, will go and travel that change in emotion. And what they came to know and experience is written so that we might experience the same life-changing joy in knowing that our Savior is alive forevermore, that our souls are secure in Him. There's no other way my soul is secure if it wasn't for Jesus. We were just singing a little, bit, a little bit ago, we were singing, then sings my what? Soul. Then sings my soul. The reason your soul can sing is your soul is saved. can sing unto God. If you're taking notes, you see the title of the study this morning. He is risen, sin and death defeated. I mentioned this last week uh, in discussing the Passover week, that there are two times of the year, Christmas being one, Easter being the other, that I personally as a pastor step away from verse-by-verse verse teaching and just try and simply retell the story. The same incredibly eternal, essential story as it happened. I do the same at Christmas. Matter of fact, with the Passover, the parents, the father in particular, was to retell the Passover again and again and again so the families would not forget it. Don't try and make it sound cool. Don't try and you know, add your own twist to it. Just tell it like it happened. And that's what we want to do with the resurrection. The best I can in the very limited time we have. There is absolutely nothing that me or anyone else can add to what Jesus accomplished and what the Gospels recorded. We just want to understand it. We just want to uh, have it get deep inside of us. So let's this morning, let's resolve, those of you online, those of you here, let's resolve to rehear it to know its power, that the Word and the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and soften our hearts so that we're re-amazed and re-surrendered to His risen life. Amen? Amen. 
Father, we just ask that you would do this. You would re-amaze us and we'd be re-surrendered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Two focus areas here this resurrection. Just two bullet points today. One is I've titled The Three Days of Despair. And the second point that we'll look at is The Dawn of Eternal Repair. Don't you love eternal repair? Don't you wish everything that was repaired never broke again? We'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, let's start off with looking back three days from the resurrection, which I've titled Three Days of Despair. Can you imagine the feeling? Jesus is now gone. I want to, before we look at that, quick look at our map from last week. Say, you, I wasn't here last week. Well, this is the same map, so you have been transported back to last week and 2,000 years ago. Uh, this little map, uh, just everything that took place in the Passover week, from Palm Sunday to Jesus rising from the grave, everything takes place in that view. Every single thing takes place in that frame. The only thing that doesn't take place in that frame is where Jesus sleeps early in the week in Bethany, which is on the back side of the Mount of Olives. So you would just kind of follow that red line, which is the Jericho Road, around the back side. Everything else takes place in that view. And as you recall, Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives on Palm Sunday, and then the rest of the week, you know, he's teaching in the temple. You see the massive temple structure. That's where he did his teaching. The Garden of Gethsemane right there uh, just across the Kidron Valley, there's a brook of Kidron there that runs parallel to the wall, which would be the east wall. Um, this is the this is Mount of Olives is east. North of the city, you have uh, well north of the wall, you have the outside wall there. Jesus was crucified outside the city gates, outside the wall. This is the traditional site of Golgotha, and this is the alternate site called Gordon's Calvary, which actually has a skull-like kind of impression in the side of the rocks there. Uh, so I personally believe that Jesus was crucified in the alternate site, which is Gordon's Calvary, which is more north of the temple. But that's just my own opinion. It may be that he was in the traditional site of Golgotha. There's lots of differences of opinion which place it was. Uh, the fact of the matter is we know he was crucified outside the walls, and one of those two places is where it took place. If you look at this next image of Jerusalem, uh, remember I took this picture when we were there in 2019. This is looking from the Mount of Olives towards the Temple Mount. Um, you can see that long white line I put. All of that was the temple structure. Today the Dome of the Rock is there, a second mosque, which is to the left outside of the viewing part of the screen. Two mosques sit on the Temple Mount today, which was the temple and, of course, the other side, you can't see the western wall, sometimes called the Wailing Wall, is not visible. That's on the back side where people actually put the little prayer things in. But the temple was all there, and then Jesus was crucified in either of those two places. You can see where they are in the cityscape there, either the Golgotha location or uh, Gordon's Calvary. And then adjacent to Gordon's Calvary is the Garden Tomb. Some of you that went with us, I posted a and our internal Facebook worship songs last night of different languages singing there. Uh, it's a beautiful place, and that's where I believe Jesus uh, was buried and rose. But again, um, when we get to heaven, if we're off on a few of the locations, Jesus will make all this clear. What we do know is it all takes place in that area. We might be off by 100 feet or 100 yards or a half a mile, but it's all right there and there's a lot of evidence as to why. Now, the other things that we, you know, some things are non-debate, we know the temple is right there. The east gate is still exactly where it was. So 
This gives you an idea of kind of the, the landscape of where Jesus, well, he did rise for certain in that area north of the city and, or somewhere in one of the tombs if it wasn't, in fact, what's the garden tomb today. Uh, now going back to the day of the crucifixion, as we looked at last Sunday, it was Passover week. Uh, in America, we talk about Passion Week, and it, it, it's an appropriate term because Jesus had a passion to go to the cross. That's why we term it that. But it really always was and always will be Passover week. The, re, the resurrection is timed with the beginning, well, the whole week. His entrance is timed with the beginning of Passover. His resurrection today, by the way, ends Passover. Those of you that follow the Jewish calendar, maybe just your calendar, Passover ends today. Jesus rose with the ending of that Passover. Um, but we want to look at the significance of these things. So it was the Passover week. And the very day after Palm Sunday, as you recall, Jesus immediately began teaching, and he was inspected for four days. He's teaching the temple. He's inspected. He's questioned for four days by the priest and the religious leaders. And he was inspected... Unbeknownst to them, they're inspecting him like he's a lamb because those same four days, the Passover lambs were also being inspected. This is all according to the law, as the law required. On the day of the crucifixion and Jesus' death, it was the same exact day. Now, remember we talked about in, in the Passover week, every family had to have their own Passover lamb. So I have a family of five. I'd have to get a lamb that would no blemish, inspected for four days, and I would have to sacrifice one lamb for my family. And all of you that have a family, you would have to do the same. But there was also one Passover lamb, symbolically, that was also sacrificed at the temple. In addition to the thousands of individuals, you had one, that, one single lamb that was laid on the temple's altar. And by the way, the temple Passover lambs could only come from one city. Do you know which city they had to come from? Bethlehem. Could only... Does that sound familiar to anyone here? The, the Passover lambs for the temple could only come from Bethlehem. No other city was allowed. God the Father had synchronized every little detail. Immediately after Pilate washed his hands of the death of Jesus, or at least of the death sentence saying that the blood of Jesus was not on Pilate. He said it's on the religious leaders and it's on the multitude. Right after he did that, they led Jesus away to the cross. Understand, of course, by the way, you can't wash your blame. Pilate couldn't wash his. I can't wash mine. You can't wash yours. We need Jesus to wash our blame. We certainly can't just throw it aside. Well, it's not my fault. We're all guilty. Pilate... He couldn't wash it. But let's look again what took place with Jesus going to the cross because it's important to understand. Look at Luke chapter 23. Take a right-hand turn from Matthew. Skip over Mark and go to Luke. Luke chapter 23, just two verses. As my pastor in Charlotte used to say, you cannot know how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad news was or is. Luke 23 starting verse 33, just two verses. When they had come to the place called Calvary, or Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, as if Jesus was one, one on the right hand 
the other on the left, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's at this time, Pilate washed his hands, Jesus is sent to the cross, they begin to drive the stakes in, and Jesus is on the cross, and what he is thinking about is forgiveness. The whole mindset is, Father, the world needs to be forgiven. They are as guilty as sin. They are sin, but they need forgiveness. You know, we get the word crux. You ever use the term, well, the crux of the matter is, we get the word crux from the word crucifixion. The next time you hear someone who doesn't know the Lord saying, well, the crux of the matter is said, time out, are we having a Bible study? Indeed, the crucifixion is the crux of the matter, isn't it? As uh, for our souls, it's the crux of the matter. As it relates to our sin and being cleansed and being forgiven. Now back to the scene of that, what we call Good Friday, and whether it was Thursday or Friday, there's debate on that too, but regardless, some even say Wednesday, but I can't. Again, you can do all your own research. The bottom line is it happens, and then there's three days later, and you have the resurrection. But it was 9 a.m. or the third hour. In your Bible, you'll see the third hour. The third hour is 9 a.m. 6 a.m. is the first hour. 9 a.m. is the third hour. And it's 9 a.m. or the third hour is Jesus being nailed to the cross just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. At that exact time, the same third hour, as they're laying Jesus on the cross, as the Roman soldiers are pinning down his arms and legs and driving the stakes in, at that exact same time, 9 a.m. at the temple, the Passover lamb, the symbolic one for the whole nation, is tied to the altar. Same time, 9 a.m. By who? By Caiaphas, the high priest. The high priest is the only one that could tie that Passover lamb to the altar. This is the same Caiaphas that said it would be expedient that Jesus should die a substitutionary death for the people. He was right, but not for the reasons that he was thinking. But every year, the Passover lamb for that year would be bound to the altar at 9 a.m. From the third hour to the ninth hour, which is what? 3 p.m. The lamb would not be killed. It would just be tied down and unable to move from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Jesus goes on the cross at the same 9 a.m. And he gives up his spirit at 3 p.m. at the exact same time the high priest, as kosher mandates, slits the lamb's throat and drains, and the sacrifice is complete at 3 p.m. for the lamb at the temple and Jesus on the cross, bound for the exact same period of time that the lamb is bound. The last three hours of Jesus being on the cross, though, are significantly different than any time that any Passover had ever seen. In fact, any three hours that the world had ever seen, because from 12 p.m., which is the sixth hour, to 3 p.m., which is the ninth hour, there was darkness. And like I've said before, you don't get three-hour lunar eclipses or, or solar eclipses. Eclipses don't last that long. This is a darkness that God sent, just like he sent to the e Egypt and the plagues. It's just a darkness that God sends for three full hours. It was midnight at midday, testifying to the darkness of what? The darkness of sin, the darkness of death, and the darkness of humanity's hearts. Yes, even your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can know it? All of us 
And God's saying, the darkness of the world is upon my son. The sins of the world are upon him. And also it testifies to humanity cruelly killing the son of God in cold-blooded murder. All of us are guilty. You know that, right? Even though we weren't there, Pilate and Caiaphas spoke for all of us, all Jews, all Gentiles. We all are guilty. Now, yes, we know that Jesus willingly laid down his life. Yes, the, the people that time and us by association murdered the Son of God, but Jesus, we know no one can take his life. He lays down his life. He said, I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to raise it up. We know that Jesus willingly laid down his life but mankind is still guilty. That's why he's saying, Father, forgive them. They, know, they don't even know what they're doing. They do not know they're killing the Son of God. They have no clue that they'll be judged for this if they don't repent. And all that added only added to our sins. Now just before 3 p.m., Jesus cries out these words, it is finished. And the Greek word, the Greek word is telestai, which you've probably heard before. It is finished. And what was finished? Well, what was finished is every requirement for all of the blood sacrifice. You realize that there had been a lot of sacrifices even before the law. Remember the first thing Noah did is he set up an altar and sacrificed to the Lord. But all the sacrifices, all the blood, all the bulls, all the goats, all the sheep, and Hebrews talks a lot about this. If you were in our Hebrews study, we, we talked about the fact that all of those things couldn't suffice the need of a blood sacrifice. There had to be a perfect, sinless sacrifice. So what was finished when Jesus said it is finished, it, it, that finishing, that finishing is that everything's accomplished. All the sins are covered by his blood. Now at that exact time, as Jesus says, it, it is finished. And the sacrifice for sin is complete. The one that would cover thousands, if even if he had trillions of other sacrifices, this one sacrifice covers everything. It is finished. Everything that the prophets said would happen, all the prophecies, all the things that God said must take place, Jesus finished it all at that moment. At that exact same time, the temple lamb is slain, lamb dies, Jesus dies at the same time. Of course, Jesus, unlike us, he doesn't just die, he gives up his spirit. The Bible says he gave up his spirit. He could have kept living He's supernatural. He could have kept living, but he gives up his spirit and he dies at that same time. When Jesus and the lamb both die at the same time, Jesus on the cross, the lamb on the altar, the temple veil splits right down the center. Isn't that amazing? This should be a clue to Caiaphas, right? He's there in the temple. He should say, this is odd. It's been dark for three hours. I think Jesus is on the cross. I just killed the lamb. The temple veil just tore in two. But his heart stays hard, just like Pharaoh. Just like Pharaoh. His heart stays hard. Pilate's heart stays hard. Herod's heart stays hard. Many people's hearts stay hard. But with that veil being torn in two, it was the veil that separated the Holy of Holies to the holy place, and it signaled the ushering in of a new covenant. Aren't you glad there's a new covenant? Yes. It signaled the entering of a new covenant. We don't need Caiaphas. We have Jesus. But there's still a problem. Sin has been dealt with. 
the substitutionary death of Jesus, sin has been fully dealt with his blood. And it tells us in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Sin's been dealt with, but death hasn't been dealt with yet. Death still hangs over humanity. Now, we can now understand all of this. We have hindsight. We have the whole 66 books of the Bible. We get to read the whole thing and say, why didn't they get this? <laughs> well, because none of the New Testament was written. They're living it. We can understand all of the, what I'm talking about in hours more of details and more fulfilled scripture and more prophecy that we don't have time to get into today, that, which is why we meet every Sunday and we even have Wednesday services, try and get to all of it in this lifetime. And we still won't. But the disciples, even though Jesus had told them, he had told them numerous times, I'm going to be crucified. He didn't say he'd be beheaded. He didn't say, um, I'm going to be stoned, which was actually the Jewish form of capital punishment, was stoning. He said, I'm going to be crucified. Not only did he say, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to rise three days later. They didn't understand it. Went straight over their head, like we talked about last week. Husbands and wives talking to each other. I hear you. I just have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> right? So they would hear Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to be crucified. I'm rising three days later. They're like, what's for lunch? <laughs> He's looking at them like, how often do you hear someone say, I'll be crucified, rise three days later? But they had no reference point. They had no, re they, they, is it symbolic? They had no reference point. They'd never, never done this before. None of it made sense to them. So as Jesus is taken down from the cross, they're despondent. They're in disbelief. They're disillusioned. They're, they, did we follow? Is this, was this all? Even John the Baptist, close to his death, was so disillusioned that he said, is Jesus really the one, remember? Yeah. You can have your bad days, brothers and sisters. I have too. But don't let it stay there. Get back on your knees and back in your Bible. Amen. Your feelings are, are, will fool you a lot. Don't go by your feelings. Go by what Jesus said. But they're disillusioned, they're bewildered, they're confused, they're wondering how they can even go on. Their rabbi, their miracle-working prophet, their lord, their master, their shepherd, their savior, their king, their everything is gone. Not just gone, they saw him brutally mutilated and tortured to death, and they're wondering, what happens to us now? Everything's over. But praise God, Friday isn't the end. Amen? Amen. Praise God, Friday's not the end. Matter of fact, we were at the, we were at the prayer um, uh, service this Friday, and I had mentioned, you know, it's not just that Friday wasn't the end. For Jesus, the second he gave up his spirit, remember he told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Yes, yes. The second Jesus gave up his spirit, he's literally immediately in paradise with Abraham. Daniel, Noah, Job, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, his cousin that just died not too long before him when beheaded. John the Baptist probably gives Jesus a huge hug. Jesus in paradise. But the people back in Jerusalem aren't in paradise. So they're still completely in the dark. But Friday's not the end. You see, with Jesus, there's no sad endings. There's only new beginnings. Amen? Amen. Let's look at our closing focus and why we're here this morning to rejoice if you're taking notes. So just my second bullet point, and this is it. The whole reason why we're here this morning. When you and I, which I titled, 
the dawn of eternal repair. I love that Jesus does things eternally. I've fixed a few things in my life. Don't ask my wife. They don't last long if I fix them. You know, it's not, a, it's not usually a permanent fix. But um, when you and I think of repair, we generally think of something not working and then it being fixed to the way it worked before. So it was broken. I took my car in. You know, wasn't working. Maybe a doctor repaired your knee. Now it works again. You know, you put some parts in there. Um, another example in our house, uh, we have literally had every single appliance in our kitchen has had the repairman at least one. Microwave, stove, fridge, trash compactor, and dishwasher. One time the dishwasher uh, in the middle of the night decided to send water across the kitchen. And um, so we, we've had all of them repaired and they're back to working order. I mean, they, um, General Electric... It doesn't work like it says it all. It's a, it will all the time. Whirlpool or whoever else they are. But they were fixed. And so they went back to, oh, they're back in working order again. But what Jesus came to do is totally different than when we normally think of repair. Jesus came to repair and restore something that was utterly beyond repair. Right, right. Does this make sense? Yeah. It was beyond repair. Namely, our relationship with God the Father and our Creator, which was destroyed due to sin. We didn't have a relationship. The Bible says we were enemies of God, alienated. There, there's no point at all that we're fixable. We were beyond repair. Sin had destroyed us. It had destroyed us, our souls, and our relationship with God. So Jesus came to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to this earth to do the impossible. Aren't you glad Jesus can do the impossible? Yeah. He said in Matthew 9, uh, 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. That person you think can never be born again, maybe this is the year. Amen. You may say that about me. They might you say that about you. But what he came to do is not like repairing the refrigerator, not like repairing your knee or a car. What he came to do is more along the lines of, let's say, let's, let's take a car, for example. You guys remember the wildfires in California? Uh, well, they're always in California. But I mean, the, the ones that were really, really bad, more than the bad, bad ones, a couple of um, years ago, it actually destroyed an entire town. And you might have saw it on the news. It wiped out the whole town. It came like a wall of like 50 feet of flame. And the flames were so hot that some cars were burnt. They were gone. The cars were literally incinerated, there would like be a little piece of the transmission left. And what Jesus came to do, if you took a car that was incinerated and nothing was left but like a little piece of the transmission, the rest of the car is blown out in the atmosphere. Literally, the ashes of that car might have landed in Virginia as the jet stream gets a hold of it, because it actually takes the winds from all the way there, and drops them into the Pacific Ocean. The others float down the rivers. Some is in the ground, and you have this little piece of transmission this big. It would be like the mechanic, you go on the mechanic saying, hey, our car is just destroyed. And he says, I'll fix it for you. He has no point of reference what you're saying. No, 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 you, didn't, you don't understand. This is what remains of the car. <laughs> this little piece of the transmission. Now, only someone that can call the four winds of the earth to himself can fix that situation. Amen? Yeah. Only someone that can call the winds from all directions and say, all the atoms, all the molecules of that vehicle reassemble. Jesus can do that. 
Only he can call and reassemble and repair everything that went in all different directions. And yet what Jesus came to do for us, if you're listening online and those of you here, what he came to do for us is infinitely more amazing and more powerful than if Jesus reassembled a car that had been burned to nothing. He came to save us from being burned forever. Even though as the creator and the Lamb of God, the sinless Savior, with all power, he can do either. He can reassemble any car. He could raise the Titanic and have it completely back to normal in a millisecond. There's nothing, there's nothing Jesus can't do. But he came for souls. He came to repair our relationship. He came to repair the souls. Unbeknown to the disciples and the faithful followers of Jesus, they didn't know Jesus had victoriously dealt with sin on the cross. They weren't aware that he had done an amazing repair that they didn't even know had happened. They're still in despair when actually he has done a great repair on the cross, greater than reassembling the vehicle from all different directions. They're, un, they're, they're unaware of it. Jesus had dealt victoriously with sin, the sin that had begun in the garden and with Satan deceiving Adam and Eve all the way to his very murder there in Jerusalem and all the sins that have happened since that day and all the sins that have happened even this morning all over planet Earth and all the sins that will happen tomorrow and next week and until Jesus returns. Jesus had covered the sins of anyone that would believe on him. His, his atonement is enough for every person, but it has to be applied. Remember the Passover, you had to apply the blood to the doorpost. Well, I have a, blood, I have a bowl of blood that's sitting on the doorpost. That didn't work. You had to believe God and actually apply it. Remember? Well, we, we killed the lamb, we just did everything except for apply the blood. That would be not believing. So his covering is there but for all those that would believe on his name. But, but what about death? What about death? Uh, we want to be forgiven. I hope all of us want to be forgiven, those online. We, we need to be forgiven. But we also want to live forever, don't we? Yes. We want to go back to that eternal state that Adam and Eve before sin, that, that, that we live forever, not just live forever, but in heaven with Jesus. We don't want another imperfect earth. But in heaven with Jesus, and that, that requires a different miracle. One that is the other side of the coin, if you will. By the Father's design and for our salvation, the crucifixion of Jesus required the resurrection of Jesus. The crucifixion required the resurrection. There had to be the death, not just any death, it was the death God prescribed. When you get to heaven, you can ask God, perhaps, if he allows you to ask it, he might not let you ask it, but it, why crucifixion? Why not this? Why not that? So far, it's exact. this required this. Crucifixion required the resurrection by his perfect design. So there on that Sunday morning, three days after the devastating death of Jesus, look back at our text, back to Matthew chapter 28. Read it again. Now after the Sabbath, the first day of the week began to dawn, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. 
Now understand, Jesus does not need the help of the angels rolling back the stone. Jesus did not need any help. Why were the angels there? Well, it's kind of like, if you ever seen the president come off uh, Air Force One or a helicopter, he heads towards the door, you'll see a white-gloved Marine open the door. That's kind of like the angels rolling back the stone. It's more like the angels do doing this. It's more like a salute. It's more like the angel rolls back the door and it's like rolling out the red carpet. Jesus doesn't need their help. He can blow the stone into a black hole if he wants to. But they're there to serve. And they even sit down and Jesus says, here's your orders. When they come, tell them I'm risen. Tell them to do this. Tell them to do that. Angels don't, aren't like us. They don't disobey. They just exactly what they're told to do. We're like, well, why, why would you do that? Why can't I say this? You know, that, you know. That's our sin nature. We have to ask a lot of angels, like, whatever you need done. We need to get like that with the Lord. We need to become like that. But there, uh, Jesus doesn't need their help, and so the angel says, he is risen. And we see they, they end up with great joy running from there. In a single moment, Unknown to anyone on, on earth, when it happened actually, again, Jesus is rising, no one but the Godhead sees the actual rising. The angels attend, they may have, but we don't even know if they saw exactly, but Jesus shatters death. And he fully repairs access to God. More important than assembling some vehicle, he fully repairs access to God the Father in a single moment. It was powerful. The Bible says the earth quaked. And I would, uh, I would tell you that the earth is still reverberating from that day. Our worship this morning was the ripple effect. We're part of that ripple effect, that, that earthquake, the aftershocks, good aftershocks. It was instantaneously like a lightning bolt. And all these words are in the text, lightning, earthquake, the angels shining bright, um, and now the light of Jesus, it shines for eternity. It shines out of that tomb, but it shines for eternity. And Malachi 4.2, which is the last book of the Bible written before there's 400 years of silence, and then you have the dawn of John the Baptist coming on the scene, and then Jesus. But in Malachi 4.2 it says, but to you who fear my name, and wherever you put fear my name, you can put believe. Okay. We that fear, the, fear God, believe God. Part of the way you know if you fear the Lord is you believe the Lord. You say, I believe the Lord, but I don't fear the Lord. No, they, they, they go hand in hand. But you who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness, all capitalized in your Bible, shall arise with healing in his wings. And surely Jesus has risen with healing, hasn't he? Yeah. Not just healing, healing of death. Not just disease, but death. And Jesus rose just before the S-U-N, but just like the S-U-N, rises and shines the light. Jesus shines the light of the gospel now. And the S-O-N that rise, he heals our soul. So we can sing, then sings my soul. He heals the soul. You and I, doc, your doctor cannot heal your soul. He can heal things, tweak, not even fully heal because they re, they re, eventually the repair doesn't work. The heart eventually dies anyway. But Jesus heals everything. He heals our souls. And in heaven, uh, there, by the way, there won't be the sun, like the solar sun that we have, because Jesus is the light of heaven. The Bible says he lights up all of heaven. The Lamb, the Son of God, will light up heaven. And his resurrection 
his resurrection, it sets the stage for all of us that believe in his name, all of us that fear his name. His resurrection sets the stage for us to rise with him someday and live for all eternity in his risen glory. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. Isn't that great news? I have two sisters that that died well before me, one at, one at the age of 21 and one at uh, 38, and I look forward to seeing them. You all have people in your family that if there's no resurrection, you're not seeing any of those people ever again. If, but if they know the Lord and they were in the Lord, your resurrection, their resurrection, our resurrection, we'll see them face to face. It sets the stage. Everything about us, our body, our soul, our spirit, will be fully repaired. Isn't that great? Fully repaired. I have lots of things that need repaired uh, <coughs> in me. Uh, but it'll all be made perfect and better. But the crux of the matter, all goes back to the crucifixion, the crux of the matter is this. We have to come to the cross and believe in Jesus as our personal Savior. Jesus died for the world. He is the Savior of the world. But is he your personal savior? Personal. Your God. When, when, when Thomas sees the nail, he says, sees the nail pierce and he touches the side, he goes, My Lord and my God. It's personal. That's why you enter in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Is he your personal savior? Everything that's recorded about Jesus in the scriptures, everything he did sacrificially and miraculously in that Passover week is for us to believe it and receive it. Not just know it. Lots of people know it. Lots of people have seen crucifixes. A lot of people have you know, seen, hey, riding down the road, you, when I drive, drive down to Florida, there's always signs. Repent and believe on Jesus and stuff like that. People ride by that doesn't mean anything to them. There's, no more than Pedro at the south of the border means anything to them. You know, just ride right on by as if it's not even there. Some of you may stop there, but anyway. John 20, 31 says, But these things are written that ye may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life, not just life now, but eternal life, which is good news because every second we're closer to death. Yeah, yeah. Every second. But we would have eternal life in his name. Remember I mentioned uh, uh, that for the eternal repair work that Jesus came to do, we need someone who could call from the four winds of the earth. And Jesus can. The Bible actually says in the book of Revelation, one day the angels will stand at the four corners of the world and grab the four winds and hold them. And there'll be no wind on the earth for a little bit. And by the way, you say, well, is there really four corners? NASA discovered there's four bulges in the earth which, which correspond to a perfect square placed inside our globe. The angels will stand on the four points and grab the winds. But Jesus can pull... We know that we need someone that can ha someone who has that kind of power, that can rise from the dead, grab the winds, roll up the universe like a scroll. We need someone with that kind of power to deal with our sins. Well, because of the resurrection, he'll someday, he'll someday do what I mentioned about the car. He's going to reassemble us from anywhere and everywhere. He's going to call us from the dust. If you and I die, eventually we lay in the ground, we just return to dust. Right, right, right. How is that a body? 
when we return, we'll rise just as he did. He was only in the ground three days. Many people have been in the ground for 5,000 years, 4,000 years, 2,000 years, 20 years, 50 years. But this is what the scriptures say, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. His resurrection guarantees your resurrection, my resurrection. If there's no resurrection, we're in a lot of trouble. But there is a resurrection, and we're in a lot of blessing if we know him as our Lord and Savior. All the souls, when he calls the souls... Think about, there was a pastor preaching as the, ship, as the Titanic was sinking. There was a pastor that was preaching, and he went down in the icy waters. His body is never found. Salt water will disintegrate the body. Where is his body? It's all over the world. Jesus will say, all comes back together. People that died in the Twin Towers that were saved, um, all, all it is is dust. It's a pile of dust. Where are their bodies? Jesus will say, come forth. Just like he said to Lazarus, come forth. He will say, come forth, no matter where you were. You, it, Jerusalem was burned to the ground. People that were, they're nothing left but ashes, their bodies will come forth. Yeah. See, this is the kind of eternal repair we need. Amen? Amen? More important than a vehicle, more important than anything else. For all eternity, he'll gather the body of Christ, every soul that has been saved, get those that have believed on his name, gathered unto our risen Savior. And guess what we'll see when we're gathered to Jesus? The crux of the matter. We'll see the hail, we'll see the nail prints in his hands and his feet. In all that glory, he's reconstituted us, given us a perfect body, saved our soul, brought us back together, and yet we still see the marks of his sacrifice on his hands and his feet. That one symbolic thing will never go away for all eternity. That's why we never forget the cross but we never stop thanking God for the resurrection. Amen? Amen? Two sides of the same coin, both are essential. The cross is astounding. The resurrection of Jesus is amazing. But we can't just marvel at what Jesus done, has done. We must believe, we must repent, we must receive what he's done and walk in him. Amen? Amen. I'm glad I said yes to him. My wife and I in June 19... 95, altar call, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. I believe it was all true, but I just didn't believe on him for salvation. I didn't say, Lord, cleanse me from my sins. I want to give my life to you. And we want to close this service now if you bow your heads. And those of you online, as you bow your heads, the worship team's going to come up. I just want to invite you. I'll never forget... When we first got saved, um, there was a Christian artist that was popular in that time. Some of you might remember Crystal Lewis. Any of you remember her? She was, oh, that's how old I am. So, um, but anyway, uh, but she, she would sing a song at some of Greg Laurie's crusades, Harvest Crusades, and says, it said, the words were, come and live forever. Come and live forever. And that's what Jesus invites you to. He invites you to come and live forever. But what it, what's the price? Well, he paid the price. All the price has been paid by him. All you say, Lord, I want to give you the lordship of my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to ask that you cleanse and forgive me. Everything else has been paid for by him. The death and the resurrection is only he could do it. 
you have no better chance of saving yourself as you do of trying to fix that car that the only thing left is this much of the transmission. You have no better chance of fixing that car than you do of fixing your soul. But you have to, you have to humble yourself and you have to repent and say, Lord, I'm turning from my control, my sins, my life, and I'm giving you the control. Please cleanse me. That's all I did. I walked forward, tears running down my face. I didn't know how that whole thing was going to work. I just knew Jesus knew how to work it. Amen? And as our heads are bowed, if there's anyone here and you want to give your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to come forward. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do a real altar call. Just come forward and stand right here, and I want to pray with you. If there's anyone at all. And if you're online, just kneel in your living room, or if you're driving, pull off the side of the road. Your soul is worth a lot more than anything else. Anyone at all. Just as the worship team's going to sing quietly, if anyone wants to come forward, you just come forward. Your opportunity to give your life to Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. You'll never forget this day. I never forget the day we went and gave our lives to Christ. Now, you don't have to walk an aisle to come to Christ. Many people have been saved in hotel rooms, streets, airports. But this is the invitation of today. Each day is different. God's inviting anyone that is here. Say, I'm embarrassed to go forward. Hey, Jesus hung publicly, naked, brutalized. I finally came to the place that Sunday. I said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going forward. I don't care if I lose every friend. I've never, re I've never regretted that day. I only regret that I didn't do it sooner. That's my only regret. That I didn't do it sooner. I'm going to have the worship team just sing for a minute and just quietly If anyone wants to come forward, we just want to give that opportunity. Simpson, you should come forward. It's not God telling you to stay where you're at. It's your own flesh or, or the enemy himself. Put it off. Wait another day. You got next week. You got next year. You got next decade. None of that is guaranteed. Therefore, none of that is true. What is true is today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. I, when I preach the resurrection, I cannot help but call people to come to know Jesus because that's what it's all about. Anyone at all, don't put it off. If you're here today and you're not, you're not ready to meet God face to face. Nobody here will think anything other than we will rejoice. That's all we'll think. Praise God. Once you guys stand, and while the worship team's singing, you guys can sing along. If anyone comes to that conclusion, if you're out in the fellowship hall, if you're out in the courtyard and you want to come, just come stand here. All we'll do is rejoice with you, but why don't you guys...
of sorrows. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, who in sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a
we do have a great Savior. Yes, right. An amazing yes, yes. Lord and Savior. And, you know, we can't comprehend who Jesus is. And we meet him face to face. You'll, like John, just fall on your face before him. You'll cast your crowns. You won't want to hold on to anything. You won't care about anything else. You'll be like, this is where I've been longing to be. Um, we did an invitation. I want to say this. The great D.L. Moody, when he would preach all over North America and all over um, England, Ireland, he said more people came to Christ after the service than they, what were called the inquiry rooms. We don't have an inquiry. We don't have any room left here. But anyway, uh, but the inquiry room, people would come and, and, and maybe you have questions, and that's fine. Uh, myself and our elders are... My wife and other ladies, we'd be glad to answer your question. Maybe you say, ah, just, just this one question, I can't. And if God can help you resolve that, which he can, maybe that's what you need to give your life to Christ. So um, people get saved after the service in this church more than in the service. It's just it's our tradition here. So uh, <laughs> I guess it's going to be that way for a while. But I want to say, several Sundays ago when, when this brother got saved over here, they were in the 830 service. He brought his extended family. They had like 12 people over there today. All because he got, yeah. Because he got saved. And that's what happens. One becomes two, and two becomes four, and four becomes eight, and you know how the math works. God's doing, and he's been doing that since, uh, remember, there's a tiny group of people who were saved at the resurrection, and now look around the world, people are coming to Christ. Today, thousands will come to Christ. So be praying. There's people online that you, we don't know. Somebody might have got saved. And if you gave your heart to Christ, send us a note at questions at calvarychapelrva.com. We'd love to be able to encourage you. But uh, I want to say thank you all for coming out. And uh, thank you for your prayers this week. It's been interesting. I was gathered with 25 other pastors from North Carolina and Virginia earlier in the week. And we both we were like, here's a story that we've told many times. We know by heart. I've been studying it for 20-some years. And I have to study hard Easter week. I mean, I study for hours and days to, to trim it down and say, Lord, of all this that could be told for centuries, how do I say this amount? But thank you for your prayers. And God is on the move. I believe it. I believe it. Just talking to pastors around the country, around the world, some great things are happening. Don't listen to CNN or MSNBC <laughs> or uh, Fox. All the, People are getting saved. Let's be part of it. Jesus is on the move. I, I love when Aslan rises up. He puts Lucy and Susan on his back and says, let's roll. You know, and they just go like that. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us this week. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are risen. We worship you in spirit and in truth. We look forward to worshiping you face to face when you come. But Lord, we just want to say thank you for dying for us. And thank you for solving the problem of death with your resurrection. We believe on your name for eternal life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Resurrection Sunday.